Good evening, everyone. Good to see you all tonight. Trust you're having a good week. Good to come together in Jesus' name and uh, hear from the Lord. What's he have to say to us tonight? And uh, before I get into the study, even before I pray, uh, you know, we know these verses where we're headed tonight, right? Verse uh, 20, uh, Ephesians 3.20. Maybe some of you have memorized this verse. Uh, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. If I was to ask you what's that verse mean, it might be interesting what you would tell me. Say, well, it means what it says, Pastor. Uh, yeah. But there is a context to that, to that verse, and uh, that's what I want to consider with you tonight. Lord, we do thank you for your word now. Minister to our hearts as we study together. Help me to uh, teach the text accurately in a way that is edifying and builds up your people for your glory. So we commit our study to you now. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The theme of uh, Ephesians is the universal church. And uh, Paul has salvation on his mind. Of course, it's uh, inspired at this point. Uh, what he wrote is inspired here. But uh, he's really thinking about our great salvation, and he's thinking about it through a dual lens. And, and really, more one emphasis than another, maybe even. He's thinking about, yeah, our union with Jesus Christ. But beyond that, what that means as far as our union with one another as fellow believers in the body, hence uh, the universal church as as the theme here. And uh, real emphasis on the unity that we have in Christ, the oneness that we have in Christ, one new man, uh, Jew and Gentile uh, together, uh, equal footing, equal spiritual footing at the cross of Jesus Christ. Well, um, as we come to chapter 3, <clears throat> Paul emphasizes that God in the church is doing a brand new thing. Never be seen before in the history of the world. Church is a brand new creation. Uh, it's a new entity. Uh, and so uh, he emphasizes that. And then he talks about how this uh, mystery has been revealed. And he revealed it through his apostles and, and their close associates, the prophets, in, in the early apostolic age there. And then it was made known. And Paul had a, had a key role in getting out this message in those early days. Now, we... We share in that mission as we go along here. But Paul, especially in relationship to the Gentiles, had a key role in making it known. Well, uh, God wants it made known, as we saw last time. Uh, yes, not only in earth, but even before the principalities and powers, uh, the angelic powers that be out there. Uh, God wants to put this on display. And he ends up there at the end of our study last time saying in verse 13, Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. And I think Paul is especially speaking in reference to being the apostle of the Gentiles. Uh, he's in prison because of his ministry to the Gentiles. And uh, he's telling them, don't, don't lose heart. This is my calling. Uh, this is my, my great purpose. In fact, I think it kind of corresponds with what we have here in 2 Timothy 2.10, where he says, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. Why does he go through all this? Well, for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Um, it's worth it. It's really what he's saying. And he's saying that here in this context to these Gentiles. Well, we now come to the second prayer, the second extended prayer. He's kind of tried to get off off the ground a couple times as far as prayer, but he interrupts himself, right? You ever interrupt yourself? <laughs> He's on a roll. But uh, the first prayer is found in chapter 1, 15 through 23. And what does he pray for there? You remember? Enlightenment. Enlightenment. 
Well, we now come to the second prayer here in 3, 14 through 21. And what does he pray for as far as the main theme? Enablement. Enablement. And so we are we're talking those two things. Enlightenment to understand it. Enablement now to live it. And this is uh, a high point. This final section in chapter 3 is really the climactic point of the book. The practical section of chapters 4 through 6 builds on chapters 1 through 3, showing us how we should then live. That's what these chapters will go on to develop. But the text of Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 is actually the high point of church truth in the book to which Paul has been building. <laughs> and that's why I was asking the question earlier. Uh, Paul again prays for God's people, the church, in regard to this great salvation they have come to know, which crescendos into a glorious doxology at the end. And so uh, this is definitely uh, the high point of the book in some respects, uh, leading into how we should then live. Okay, well, that's enough uh, introduction, I believe. Uh, why don't we start here? Somebody want to read for us? I think we'll just take one verse at a time. There's, a, there's quite a bit to pick through in every one of these verses. So somebody want to read uh, verse 14? Who wants to read verse 14? Yeah, Dwinette. Okay, thank you. Notice, uh, if you back up, you got your Bible open there, right? Back up to chapter 3, verse 1, earlier in the chapter. And what's he say in verse 3, verse 1? For this reason. It's like he's picking up his thought that he left off at verse 1. For this reason. He he started his prayer in verse 1, but then he digressed. And now he's coming back to it. And uh, when he digressed, uh, he had talked about his unique role, again, as uh, the apostle to the Gentiles and how it came to be that this this mystery of the church was being made known uh, through the gospel and so forth. But now he uh, ties back uh, to verse 1, which ties back to uh, chapter 2. And the emphasis in chapter 2 was this climactic uh, emphasis at the end of chapter 2, which says in verse 21 and 22, in in whom the whole building, speaking of the church, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also uh, are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So at the end of chapter 2, he comes to this climactic emphasis that God is doing something with both Jew and Gentile, making you into a holy temple, uh, a dwelling place uh, for God. And there's where he picks it up. I think his thought goes back to that. And he says, for this reason, for this reason of what God is doing in making uh, this people, Jew and Gentile, whoever comes to believe in Christ, into a holy temple, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father. Uh, because of the reality of this holy temple involving both Jew and Gentile, uh, he bows his knees, which is an expression of worship, an expression of earnestness, uh, submission, uh, really of worship for what God is doing in in building his church. And uh, we noted last time when we left off there in verse 12, he talks about in whom we have boldness and access with confidence, speaking of this this uh, access we have to God in prayer. And now I see Paul uh, applying that uh, as he comes before God, thanking God uh, and worshiping God for what he's doing in building his church. 
For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father. Uh, Father speaks of relationship. Uh, Father is the idea of, of the, the one who is over all. Uh, there is a family emphasis in the context here, and God is over the entire family of God. Uh, he is the Father of all in a general sense, as far as being the creator of all. But really, as far as believers, he's our spiritual father uh, because of Jesus Christ. And as our father, he is, uh, you know, the one who takes care of us, the one who oversees us. Uh, the one uh, who is our benevolent caretaker. Uh, that last uh, phrase here in the New King James, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is not in the older manuscripts. Uh, it is in other places. I mean, it's a legitimate uh, uh, thing to say, but it's just not here in the older manuscripts. It does speak of uh, Christ's special relationship to the Father. I think especially in relationship to uh, uh, his uh, humanity as, as our great representative and, and so forth. But again, it's not in the older manuscripts. All right, any other thoughts there as we uh, get started here? Okay, very good. Let's have somebody read uh, verse 15. Yeah, John? Okay, so uh, again, this is one long thought here from verse 14 through 19. Paul has about eight long sentences in, in the book of Ephesians. This is one of them. But um, so he's, uh, he's bowing his knees in worship before God the Father for what he's doing in building this, in the, building this forever family called the church, uh, which is a holy temple. And he says here, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Again, when he talks about the whole family, some have almost tried to make this a, a statement of universalism, that everybody's saved and so forth. It's not the case. Uh, his whole emphasis, in the, and we've seen it very strongly, especially in the early first two chapters, uh, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. He's talking about uh, who we are in Christ. And so when he's talking about the whole family here, he's talking about the family in Christ. Uh, God is the spiritual father of all believers. And uh, he's talking in reference to, uh, as he said back there in verse 19 of chapter 2, uh, the household of God. He's talking about the family of God, the household of God, and what we are in Christ. But notice he talks about uh, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Uh, there's one big family here, ultimately. Uh, some say, well, this could be broader than the church. But again, the theme of the book is the church. And so I think he especially has the, the one big family of the church, especially in view. And some are uh, in heaven and some, some are on earth, right? I mean, some have gone on ahead. We're all part of one big family, though. And uh, so we're all part of this this temple, this holy temple, this building that God is making uh, to last for all eternity. Um, okay. All right. Uh, any other thoughts there? Okay. Let's go ahead and read the next verse. Verse 16. Who wants to read that for us? Yeah. Go ahead. Okay, so he gets to a request here. He's, he's worshiping God, uh, bowing his knees before the Father, for, in, 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 uh, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. But now he has a request that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, uh, that he would grant you. In other words, uh, this is a recognition of our dependence upon him, that he would grant us. Uh, we can't do anything apart from him. Christ said, without me, you can do nothing. John 15, 5. 
and uh, prayer and strength go together. And he's really praying for strength here, as we will see, that he would grant you and uh, according to the riches of his glory. Uh, Paul is thinking now in terms of uh, spiritual things here. Uh, his prayers are largely for spiritual needs, not for physical needs. It's not that he never mentions physical needs, but by and large, Paul is concerned about the spiritual needs and the spiritual well-being of people. And that's what he prays for here at some length, that he would grant you uh, according to the riches of his glory. Uh, notice how he says this, according to the riches of his glory. Uh, so the idea there is uh, in, a, in a lavish way. You know, if, if, let's say we had a billionaire and you, uh, you know, got a, a need. Let's say you have a um, $1,000 need. Well, that billionaire says, you know, uh, okay, I'll help you with this. That's, that's uh, out, out of his riches, right? I mean, he takes just a little dab and says, okay, out of my riches. But what if he says, hey, I'm going to give you a million dollars. Wow, uh, that's according to the riches. That's lavishly. And that's the emphasis here. Uh, according to the riches of his glory. Um, God is a wealthy God. In fact, everything belongs to God. Uh, the riches of his glory. Uh, the riches according to, to who he is. The idea of riches is overabundance. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. And then he asked for four things as we will work our way through the text here. Four spiritual things. Uh, number one, uh, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So he's asking for strength uh, by the power of the spirit that we would be strengthened. Now that's a very good prayer. Of course it is. It's inspiring, right? <laughs> But uh, the reason I say this is it's interesting when you study like Romans chapter 7 and you see Paul as a believer struggling, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things, you know, he's having this conflict and, and he's, oh, wretched man that I am. That's chapter 7. What happens when we get to Romans chapter 8? I know we haven't been studying this, but if you go into Romans chapter 8, we call Romans chapter 8 the chapter of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is mentioned more in Romans chapter 8 than any other chapter in the Bible. And the point is, yes, we have a new nature, uh, and that's good. And the new nature wants to do what's right. That's Romans chapter 7. But where does the power come from? The Holy Spirit. You need to be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. That's the answer to the dilemma of Romans chapter 7. The answer is found in Romans chapter 8. And we see that emphasis here as well. I love this verse out of the Old Testament, but what a great application. He answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, I think we could write that over just uh, a lot of things, right? A lot of things we're facing. It's not by our might, it's not by our power, but by God's spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And uh, that's what I see emphasized here as well in the New Testament. And Paul is praying about this. Uh, that uh, the family of God would be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Notice what he's praying about. He's not praying about the outer man, which relates to the physical well-being. 
his concern here is, and not that we don't ever pray about these things. We do. We'll pray about that, some of those things tonight. And that's perfectly fine. I mean, we have other places where we see that's perfectly appropriate. But I think the greater issue in the mind of Paul was the spiritual concerns. And uh, we see that here. He's praying in reference to the inner man, the spiritual life of people. Uh, the way God uh, strengthens us is, is through prayer by his spirit. We need to pray about this. And Paul was praying about that. And we're only as strong as our reliance upon God. So he's praying for strength uh, through the spirit in the inner man. That's his specific prayer request there. And he's going to build on this. So that's the first request there. Uh, strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. All right. Any other thoughts there? Okay, I'll keep rolling. You're kind of quiet these days, which is okay. I haven't even been in Proverbs, which talks about, you know, not talking so much. But anyway, uh, okay, let's read uh, verse uh, 17. Who wants to read that? Verse 17. Yeah, Margie. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Okay, so he's praying that we be strengthened uh, by the Spirit in the inner man. And then he says something very interesting here. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Well, now, why do I say that is so interesting? Yeah! And, and as he calls them saints in the very first verse of the book. And one thing we know about saints is what? Where, where does the Holy Spirit, where does the Spirit of Christ live? Well, he's already in us, right? What's he saying here? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Uh, you know, just a couple of references. Uh, Romans 8, 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Well, that makes it pretty clear. If you don't have the spirit, you're not a believer. And then again, Galatians 2, 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Spirit of Christ. Holy Spirit, Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We can give many, many, many references. Uh, you are the temple of the living God, both personally and corporately. Uh, 1 Corinthians three sixteen and 1 Corinthians six nineteen, and on and on. So uh, what does this mean here, uh, then, when he says uh, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith? Now, again, he's talking in reference to the inner man. We saw that in verse 16. And uh, let me uh, bring up my next slide here. The idea here is that those who already have Christ in them may be spiritually strengthened. That's what he's just asked for. And thus live in such a way that Christ may be completely at home in their hearts. Many of the commentators suggest that the idea is to settle down and be at home. It is not the reality of dwelling but the quality of dwelling that is in view. And I think that's consistent with uh, sound theology. Uh, he's talking in reference to their experience as a believer, uh, that there would be a consistency in their life uh, where uh, Christ is abiding in, in an unbroken fellowship way uh, with them, uh, where he is, uh, in effect, comfortable and at home. And, uh, you know, the, you, as a believer, it talks about in chapter 4 that, you know, some believers are tossed to and fro. Uh, there's, there's not a settled, settledness. 
And he's really asking that there be a settledness, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's not talking saving faith here. We already established it. He's talking about the walk of faith. And so note a couple of other slides here in this uh, regard. Colossians 2, 6, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Well, how did we receive Christ? By faith. Well, so, so walk in him. In other words, you receive Christ by faith, so walk in him. Well, what's he say here? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's really, I think, again, uh, speaking in reference to our walk of faith. And then uh, Christ is there all the time. And when we recognize that reality, it affects the way we live. It affects how we talk, where we go, uh, the entertainment we laugh at. Jesus is always there. Uh, It is true in reality. And we need to constantly recognize it in practice. And I think uh, this is that for which Paul prays. He's praying that there would be a, a consistency in their lives, that they would be strengthened in their spiritual lives in the inner man in this way. Uh, where they are walking in such a way uh, by faith that Christ is is dwelling there at, at home in, in that sense. Okay, um, i got more to say there, but yeah, Vince? No, I was thinking, uh, would a parallel be, for example, with Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is already in us, but it says, you know, be filled. So, uh, Amen. That's exactly where I'm going as we go on in the text. But that's right. We're, we're going to come to that emphasis very strong. But that's right. That, that's a great parallel. That's where he's going here. So, yeah, that's right. Amen. Somebody else have a hand up? Okay. Notice what he says, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then he's, he tells us where he's going. Uh, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So he's talking about uh, uh, being rooted and grounded. He uses two figures of speech here, one agricultural and one architectural, uh, rooted, uh, agricultural, and uh, grounded uh, is the idea of uh, architectural. Uh, so both are foundational realities. And so he's saying really here, he's praying that they'd be strengthened uh, to the end that they might be established. He's speaking about foundational realities established in God's love as a way of life, being rooted and grounded in love. Uh, That's what he's wanting for them. And, of course, the word love here is is agape, uh, God's kind of love, which seeks the other person's highest good. It's it's not selfish, but selfless. Puts the other person first. And uh, this is God's kind of love. uh, and And that is key. Uh, let's see here. I think I got a couple of more slides here. Being spiritually strengthened is having Christ dwell in your heart in a quality way and is intimately connected to the spiritual foundation of love. That's what he's asking for. The chief trait of the fruit of the spirit is love. Everything builds on this. And without love, all our activity counts for nothing. Uh, noisy gong and so forth in first Corinthians 13. If you are spiritually strong, uh, you will love with God's love. This is what it means to be clearly established in your Christian walk. And this is that which uh, Paul is praying for. And so let me uh, put it all together. Speaking of being grounded in God's agape love launches Paul into expounding on this uh, from the end of verse 17 into verse 19. Being grounded in God's love results in communicating it to others, but it starts with an enlightened understanding and appreciation of this agape love. With that in mind, Paul includes 
in his prayer, the request that God's people may be may uh, more fully comprehend it. So he kind of, again, doubles back to this idea of enlightenment. Yeah, he wants them uh, to be enabled to practice it. But again, he's uh, emphasizing that they uh, first would comprehend it. All right. Any other thoughts there? Yeah, Jay. Uh-huh. But because of our we can we can temp how can I say it? We can temper or we can restrict what he does in our lives. For sure. Because of our own sinful nature and selfishness. But he's there to us a certain extent in everybody's life at that point. All believers for sure. Yeah, and he's praying praying the believers would be strengthened, right? And, and strengthen in their, in their love for one another, really, their, that the love of God would really flow through these people is really what he's praying for. This is really his key request here, that they be strengthened in the, in the love of God. Uh, that, that's his main concern. Did I answer your question? Yeah, I, you know, I, I look at it and think about how we so many times, because we're either selfish or we don't understand or we just plain old are bullheaded or whatever, Oh. Well, you just nailed the whole thing there. I mean, amen, brother. That's exactly right. I think on the one hand, we, ha- we have the flesh, which is selfish. Right. On the other hand, we have the love of God, which is totally God-centered and other-centered for, for their good. That's a love of God. So, yeah, you got self and then you've got God's love. Which way, what's going to control us here? And, and we can go either way as believers. I mean, we still have the flesh. When we walk in the flesh, it's ugly. It's very self-centered. It's very selfish. And believers can be selfish. So I think he's praying that they'll be strengthened in this regard. The very thing you're talking about, be strengthened in love uh, to where God is having his way in their lives. And back to what Vince is saying. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and love is important if we are going to get along. We are such a messy group of people. <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk about my office that way. Anyway, yes. <laughs> it's a little joke between Janie and I because she, she's always wanted me to get my office a little more cleaned up. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. God doesn't just force it. We, we are not just, uh, you know, puppets. Yeah. I mean, there is, a, there is a human response and responsibility in sanctification, for sure. But it's interesting. He's praying uh, that they would, you know, be there. And uh, it, nothing happens apart from God's working in our lives. Ultimately, all the glory goes back to God for anything that we are. As Paul would say, I am what I am by the grace of God, right? And, and, and yet he says, I worked harder than all the rest of them because of that. So, all right. Any other thoughts? Okay, very good. Let's press on, finish out that. Uh, that did we finish it out? Yeah, we did. <laughs> we finished verse 17, didn't we? Yeah. Okay, uh, let's read. Yeah. We are, okay, good question. Uh, number one, strengthened uh, 
with might through his spirit in the inner man. That's number one. Number two, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Number two. And number three, being rooted and grounded in love. Yeah. So we can break it up that way. And we'll get to number four when we get to verse 19. Yeah. He's actually going to kind of build on this. Again, being rooted and grounded in love is his main thrust. It's his main idea as far as what he's really praying for. How, how are you strengthened? Well, it's in the love of God. Uh, that's his main thrust here. Rooted and grounded in love. All of this builds to that. Strengthened with might by his spirit. Uh, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Being rooted and grounded in love. So that's the main idea that he builds to. Okay, let's have somebody read verse 18. Who wants to read that for us? Uh, Ephesians 3.18. Wow, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, superlatives here, a lot of superlatives uh, that you may be able to comprehend. Again, he gets back to this idea that you might understand, uh, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. Again, he's, he's not saying he's thinking about you individually. Go to your corner and go out there and meditate somewhere and just think about yourself and the love of God. And No, he's really thinking in relationship to the body of Christ, all the saints that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. So he's kind of thinking corporately here. And he's thinking about the fact that everybody in the body plays a part. Everybody has a part here. And he's thinking corporately that they might grow in comprehension of God's love. Uh, he wants them to see the big picture in terms of the family of God. It'll change your life. If you, if you learn to think in terms of, of the big picture, in terms of the whole family of God and what God is doing in reference to uh, the whole body of Christ. Maybe able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, and depth, and height. Uh, really kind of unqualified dimensions here in, in every direction, emphasizing the vastness of God's love, the multifaceted uh, greatness of God's love in, in no matter which direction you come at it from. I, I love this, uh, this uh, statement here from expositors. Uh, it is wide enough to reach the whole world and beyond. It is long enough to stretch from eternity to eternity. It is deep enough to rescue people from sin's degradation and even from the grip of Satan himself. It is high enough to raise both Gentiles and Jews to heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a great statement? I love that. I mean, you cannot, it is so vast, you cannot get your mind around the, the greatness of God. Now, he wants us to. He wants us to get a hold of it. You get a hold of the love of God, I mean, you, wow, uh, this, is, this is so awesome, so vast. And that's what he's describing here, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints. He wants all of us to get a hold of this corporately, uh, all the whole family to get a hold of this awesome love that there is found in God. Uh, as he says here, uh, what is the width, length, depth, and height? Okay, we got one more uh, aspect to look at as far as uh, that Paul is praying for when we get to verse 19. But Vince, yeah. yeah I, I was thinking, but I remind me, you know, sometimes we, we say, or we hear people say, well, they have a small view of God. But Paul is making sure that they don't. <laughs> Amen. That's right. That's right. That's for sure. That's for sure. His prayer is to that end anyway, right? Yeah, yeah that's right. Okay, anything else? 
Okay, you know, Vince is representing his side over here well. Now, we want to hear from you over here. I'm just teasing. Just teasing you. I appreciate that input. Uh, Verse 19. Who wants to uh, read that? Verse 19. Yeah, Jay. Thank you. Again, we come back to this love, right? He mentioned it at the end of verse 17, rooted and grounded in love. And, and then he says uh, that he may be able to comprehend. And now he says, verse 19, what is it he wants us to comprehend? To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. You see, what he, you see that something there? Uh, that you may be able to comprehend... And yet he says, which passes knowledge. Well, which way is it? Uh, Are you going to be able to comprehend or does it pass knowledge? Well, you can pray for things that are never going to see ultimate reality in this life, I'm sure. Uh, You know, there's no way that we're going to be able to fully comprehend uh, the width, the length, the the depth and the height uh, of the love of God. And that's what he says in verse uh, 19, to know the love of Christ. Yes, we can know of it intellectually, the things we, but to really experience it and to really fully uh, appreciate it and, and to really fully express it like God wants us to do. We're always working on that. Notice he says it, it uh, passes knowledge. There's a paradox here, as I say, praying that you can comprehend with all the saints and yet it passes knowledge. Uh, it, it is so great, it is so vast that in this life we're never going to get our minds completely wrapped around this. Uh, it, it passes knowledge. I think about 1 Corinthians 13, uh, which says, you know, that's a love chapter, which says we, we see now dimly, right? But then face to face. Uh, I think ultimately we're, we're going to get there in the grace of God in terms of uh, the full experience that God uh, has for us as far as this, this love experience. But right now, there are unsearchable riches in Christ, as we talked about last time, and, and this is part of it. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, there's a very <laughs> comprehensive statement, right? That you may be filled with all? Did it say all there? Uh, yeah. Uh, with all the fullness of God. Another uh, prayer request that is an awesome prayer request, but to think about this, um, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Uh, You know what Paul's really wanting in the lives of the believers here? More and more and more and more of God. I want your life to be God-filled, God-filled, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And what's he talking about in in the main context? What's the main thrust, main emphasis, main request? The love of God, the love of God, the fullness of God and the love of God go together. That's really what he's emphasizing. And uh, to be filled is the idea of being controlled by. Uh, Vince, that's where I was, you you know, he talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Very parallel here to being uh, filled with uh, the fullness of God. Remember what he said and what he's building on in terms of his prayer uh, here in chapter 3. Remember he's building on the end of chapter 2 that we are the, the holy temple of God. And he wants God to just fill this temple, to fill our lives. 
to where our lives are enriched with God. And so really our, the theme of our lives is to be more and more of God and less and less of me. Uh, kind of reminds me of another guy in the scriptures, right? Yeah, John the Baptist, he must increase, but I must decrease. Uh, really, that's a great model uh, for our lives. And that's the emphasis here, that you may be filled with all the, the fullness of God. Okay, um, yeah, think about this with me for just a moment here, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Uh, he's really talking about uh, uh, the attributes of God, the communicable attributes of God, such as, uh, yes, love, the love of God in, in the immediate context, the love of Christ, as he says at the beginning of this verse. But then you think about all the attendant uh, things related to that in terms of the wisdom of God, the mercy of God, the patience of God, uh, all of these things related to the fruit of the Spirit. All of those things enter in here. Uh, I've got a statement here related to the uh, communicable versus uh, non-communicable. Uh, the fullness of God needs some qualification. In theology, we speak of the communicable attributes of God, uh, which we as people might share in, and incommunicable attributes, which belong to God alone. For example, God is all-knowing, although we grow in knowledge, and we will never know everything as exhaustively as God does. God alone is God and forever will be. Yet the point here is that we might reach the goal of full, fully expressing the communicable attributes of God. I, I think that's, uh, that's the thrust that we're looking at here. And uh, we might be filled, filled with God. Have a life, uh, a life filled with God as, as uh, the parallel says in Ephesians 5.18, be, be filled with the Spirit. Uh, be filled with the Spirit, which is the idea of being controlled by the Holy Spirit. And so that's the idea. Um, one more slide here. When we are filled with all the fullness of God, then God and not self is on display. That's what we're talking about, Jay. Yep. Uh, then God and not self is on display. This is the purpose of the church. Wow. Corporately. You say, well, that's just, yeah, yeah, I've got a part to play, but you've got a part to play. We all have a part to play. Uh, it's like we're a, a symphony. We all, we all need to play in harmony. This is the, the purpose of the church. This is the great end that Paul prays to in this staircase prayer for the church. Strengthened spiritually by the Spirit, that Christ may dwell comfortably in our hearts as we walk by faith, that we might be able to comprehend in a limited fashion the love of Christ, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Boy, that's a, that's a very rich prayer there. All right. Well, that brings us uh, to uh, verses 20 and 21. But any other thoughts there? Before we move on, Jesse. I think the Lord uh, fulfills the rhythm of love and life. What's that? The Lord fulfills the rhythm of love and life. Well, the Lord is the author of love, that's for sure. Yep, yep that's for sure. Absolutely. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Thank you. Okay, let's read on here. Somebody want to read verse uh, 20 and 21? We can, we can read that together. Verse 20 and 21. Who wants to read that? Yeah, Marianne? Now, we've talked about some very big things here, haven't we? Concluding with that you may be filled with the fullness of God. You know what I hear you saying? You know what Paul hears you saying? 
I can't do this. I can't do this. Uh, this is too tall an order. This can't be lived out in my life. Right? No, no, you would never say it out loud because that's not the spiritual thing to say. But, uh, you know, in a sense, you're right. You can't do this. I can't do this. Uh, but God can do it. And notice what he says here. Uh, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. God's able to do more than you think in terms of his fullness being on display in your life. God walking around in your body and God putting himself on display. You know, when you uh, love the unlovable, that is a powerful expression of God on display. You know how God uh, treats his enemies? He died for them, yeah. right? Absolutely. He, he died for us while we were yet sinners. Exactly. So now to him who is able. Yeah, I'm not able. I'm not able. I don't have that strength within myself. I'm in Romans chapter 7, right? But by the power of the Spirit, uh, we can be strengthened in the inner man. And we can love on a level that we can't even comprehend uh, beyond what we're able to ask or think. God's able to do it in and through us. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Again, he's like exhausting the superlatives here, right? Exceedingly abundantly. How do you define that? <laughs> uh, not just a little bit more, right? Just overwhelmingly. Uh, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Uh, I don't know how about how you're praying in terms of uh, the love of God in your life, in terms of the love of God, in, in terms of the body of Christ, but God's able to do more, yes. able to do more, more than we can ever ask or, or think. And so this is God's work. Uh, what is uh, he really talking about? Well, I think he's talking about being filled with the fullness of God. That's where he left off at verse 19 in relationship to the, the love of God. So he's talking about uh, the spiritual achievement that God is able to bring about, which is what really? Well, it's putting God on display. That's what we're talking about. Putting God on display according to the power that works in us. What is this power that works in us? Well, we noted it back in verse 16, strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Right. So uh, above all that we ask, we think according to the power, the power of the Holy Spirit that works in us. And what is the chief? What is what is the chief fruit of the spirit? Love. love. Fruit of the spirit is love. What's that? He enables us to love, right? Yes. That's right. That's exactly what I'm saying here. Amen. Uh, note uh, verse, uh, verse. This is not a verse. <laughs> Slide. John 14, 12. You know, this is one of the most misunderstood verses uh, in the New Testament. I think, personally. Where Jesus says, most assuredly, or truly, truly, uh, I wish we should have left that part. Right? I like truly, truly. But anyway, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, Christ says, he's talking to believers, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. 
Well, let me ask you just a preliminary question. What happened when Christ went to the Father? Yeah. Then what happened? Ah, very good. He sent the Holy Spirit. And he said, it's a better thing for you that I go than if I stay. Because if I stay, you know, the Spirit won't come. But if I go, I will send the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is the empowerment. That's what the Holy Spirit is to our lives. So when he's talking about this greater works, he's talking in reference to going to the Father and sending the Holy Spirit. Uh, I know uh, you maybe can't read this in the way back, but I'll read it to you. In John 14, 12, Jesus wasn't talking about supernatural signs and wonders because no one ever outdid Jesus in terms of amount or in terms of the greatness of miracles. By the way, if people, if you, if you, and the charismatics take it this way, like we're going to be able to do greater things than Jesus did. Uh, like what, for example? Yeah. <laughs> you know, just give me one example. I'm open. I'm open. Uh, just, you know, just let me in on it. Uh, you know, and, and if that's true, let's say I'm raising the dead like Jesus did. And, you know, and something, they're putting me up on a cross and I'm bringing myself back to life. Uh, well, if that was happening all over the place, if we were doing greater miracles than Jesus as far as sign miracles, how would we know who is the true Messiah? Right? These are the distinguishing Signs of the Messiah who did what nobody else did, such as miracles over nature. Nobody, yeah, the apostles did things in reference to sickness and reference to demons, but they didn't do miracles over nature like Christ did when he says, peace be still to the storm. These were unique to Christ, these sign miracles. So I'm saying here, uh, no one ever outdid Jesus in terms of amount or in terms of greatness of miracles. This comment of Jesus here in John 14, 12, about doing greater things, flows out of Philip's request that Jesus show them the Father. Show them the Father. Well, Jesus did show them the Father in the body of one person. But now after the resurrection, he would send the Holy Spirit, which he goes on to mention in a few verses, and then God would dwell in all of them. Jesus put God on display in one physical body, but they would put God on display in many bodies in an ever-widening circle that in that sense... Their impact would be even greater than what Jesus by himself did. In context, the issue of greater works in John 14, 12 is putting God on display. We have a parallel emphasis here in Ephesians 3, 20. In context, God doing exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, is putting God on display through his body. This is God's doing. Uh, he was able uh, this is God's doing, and God is able to do it in ways that are beyond what we can ask or think. So I make a, a parallel between uh, the John fourteen twelve reference and what we see here in, in Ephesians. Okay, uh, any other thoughts before I wrap it up here, verse 21? Okay, verse 21. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. God is glorified when he is put on display, when his love is put on display through his people. And that's his uh, statement here. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. Uh, God is glorified uh, by putting his grace on display in reference to the church. Ephesians 2, 7. 
He is glorified by putting his wisdom on display through the church, Ephesians 3.10. And he is glorified by putting his love on display through his church, as we saw here in verse 19. God puts himself on display through the body. That's what Paul is really talking about here in context, uh, when his character is revealed in that way. God's presence manifests his glory. God's character manifests his glory. God's creation manifests his glory. All three of these emphases are seen in the church. The church manifests the presence of God, right? God dwells here. We are the temple. The presence of God. Where do you see the presence of God in the world? You see it in his people. You see it when they reach out with the love of Christ. The church manifests the presence of God in loving relationships. It manifests the character of God in holy living. Fruit of the Spirit manifests the creativity of God in the fact of the unity of one body that is very diverse. Truly, the glory of God is on display in the church. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what he's talking about here in context. And notice it's by Christ Jesus. He is the source of it all, all because of what he did for us on the cross, the union that we have in in, uh, Jesus Christ. And how long does this extend? Well, just uh, to all generations, and then forever and ever, amen, Uh, to all generations, to all, for all periods of time and throughout all eternity, we're going to put God on display uh, to the glory of God. And he says, amen, uh, a statement of affirmation, so let it be. So here's a concluding illustration. God is like the sun. It's just an illustration. God is like the sun and we are like the moon. The moon doesn't give light of its own. It has no light of its own. It merely reflects the light of the sun. Likewise, we really do not have any glory to give. But we do reflect the glory of God as he lives his life through us. The glory is his, but reflects it through us. Wow. That's a a pretty good illustration. I stole it from somebody. I'm not sure I got it. But it's, uh, that's really what, we're reflectors. We're reflectors. We don't have our own glory, you know, but we're reflecting his, his life, his love, his wisdom, uh, all that we have in him. And so this is a great way to end here. Psalm 34, 3, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Let's put God on display. That's the great purpose of the church. It's all about God. It's not about us. And hey, what I'm doing. No, it's about what God is doing in and through us uh, for his glory. All right, any other thoughts as we wrap up here tonight? Sorry, I went five minutes over. It's all Vince's fault. No, I'm just kidding. Jesse?